As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes, adult film stars, sportsmen drag racers after a brief hiatus we're back yes we are luke this is the this is the year of being back and it's good for us to be back as well and um, you know we, we did have a little week off there with some vacation and other activities we were involved in but man we have got a lot to unpack in this episode of the sportsman drag racing podcast my friend I don't know about you. I come in refreshed. I come in ready to rock. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Week off. I'm juiced. Bringing the energy. So this week, this episode, the J- I was going to say the Jake Summer Door Car Shootout. You can tell, you can tell where my mind is. We'll talk is. about that, too. We'll talk a little bit about that. We will talk about the IDRA, Lutinol, <laughs> the snow-capped mountains of Gainesville, Florida, for the NHRA season opener. Huh? Brad Burton still winning. It's over. It might not be over. And <laughs> some drama at the drama in junior dragster racing. No. What's the chances of that? Drama from the Eastern Conference Finals in Bristol. All that and more. But first, P Jizzle for Shizzle. This here is that moment to go green, hit the tree, and drive a stripe just like you know. Ooh, dude, we take a week off. Things get juicy. Where do you want to begin? Well, Luke, uh, it is definitely a lot of juice to be uh, to be dried up here uh, after a week off. But 
I don't think there's anywhere we can start, but with the sanctioning body that is being impacted at a very high level right now, and that's the IHRA. We're not we're not reporters on this podcast, Big Jed, but I feel like I've got I don't know that I haven't seen much about this publicly. And I feel like I got the juice. This is definitely inside scoop. Now, there's going to be some people that already know it. And maybe by the time they hear this show, they're going to know it. But this is definitely under the radar stuff. And it is big. Yeah, it it is. And and it uh, I'll just I'll share what we know to this point. Um, I don't I won't claim to know exactly where this is going, but uh, we'll just lay it out. So it is my understanding, Jed, that as of today, well, as of it, it's been over a week, um, Scooter Pico, no longer employed by the IHRA, and basically anyone that you would be familiar with, like what were division directors, I mean, granted, IHRA, from what it was once was, had become a very skeleton staff, um, but like the five big names, Scooter Pico, Frank Kahutek, uh, Mike Baker, Uh, a couple others that have basically been there forever are no longer IHRA employees. And um, that was by their choice. They essentially walked out. Um, And the way that, uh, the way that I heard this story, there's, there's a lot of facets to this, but essentially uh, the way that IHRA was trending and obviously they owned a a couple of properties have recently sold. I I believe technically they still own the property at at, um, West Palm, but obviously actively trying to sell it, no real hope of it being a racetrack. Um, but still have the, the membership of racers and still have a, a pretty strong following of racetracks under the, the sanctioning body. I believe that the most recent count 80 plus racetracks and IHRA is, and has been for sale. Like that is not news. It has been for sale for quite a while. And apparently Scooter Pico and, and perhaps my understanding is the much of that remaining staff had put in an offer to buy what was left. And that offer was reneged. Um, IHRA fielded uh, at least one, I believe a handful of other offers and had some type of agreement in place. And when that went down, depending on which version of the story you hear, something didn't sit well with that remaining employee base. And they said, peace, we're out. Which means to this point, I mean, I, I don't, I mean, IHRA didn't do a whole lot, right? But if you are an IHRA member and you have a question, I don't know who picks up the phone. Like, I think there might be an employee left working out of the West Palm Beach. Like, there's nothing at, at, at IHRA right now. So that's one thing. <laughs> that's interesting, right? Yeah, very. Okay, now, <clears throat> apparently... There was a plan in place, right, with Scooter Pico and, and that brass. They, I mean, they, they made an offer to purchase what was left of IHRA, right? So they had a business plan in place. Obviously, there is tangible value. There. There's not really any physical asset left. But again, the, the membership and the racetracks involvement, like obviously there is a, a revenue model there. Well, <laughs> what I'm hearing behind the scenes is that that group has gotten together and basically, with one of two aims in mind, has contacted all of the member, sh- member racetracks and said, hey, look, 
stick with us, right? And they've gone so far as to uh, establishing a, a another sanctioning body that would, uh, the way that I understand it, would go into effect January 1st, 2023. But they've actually sent out agreements to the majority of what are currently IHRA racetracks. And at least some in, in what I'm hearing, significant percentage of those tracks are on board with that agreement. Like they are, they will become, the way I'm hearing the story is the sanctioning body would change one letter if it goes this way, instead of the IHRA, I believe it will be, instead of the International Hot Rod Association, it may become the uh, International Drag Racing Association. So the IDRA. Um, and what's interesting, like if you step back from this, from just a second, your first instinct is like, you're playing with corporate America here. Like obviously the, the, the powers that be at the current IHRA have a lot of, I, I think it's fair to assume a fair amount of, of capital to, to throw around and do what they will and, and lawyers and, and whatnot. And do you really want to mess with that on the flip side? Um, what this team of former IHRA employees has put together is pretty incredible leverage. I mean, they have all of the relationships with all of the racetracks. And without them, what can IHRA accomplish over the course of the next month, two months, three months, four months? You've got ET finals around the bend. You've got what's supposed to be the, the IHRA Summit Super Series World Championship Without those employees, I mean, it, it takes people to put on events, right? Um, I don't know how you string that together. And um, so as I step back from it, I, my interpretation of the, the goal of this group of former IHRA employees is not necessarily to form their own sanctioning body, although they are prepared to do that. I think ultimately what they want IHRA to do is acquiesce and say, okay, you got us. Um, here's, here's the company at, at this price. I don't know if that happens or not. I have no idea what happens, but it's pretty fascinating, right? Very fascinating. And, uh, you know, what, as I listened to that breakdown and things that had happened, Luke, and especially the fact that letters have already been sent to uh, member tracks with, I'm sure, some, some legal mumbo jumbo in there. That probably doesn't all take place from the time that the resignations were sent in to the, the tracks receiving those letters basically days later. So somebody saw this coming and was preparing. They were loading the wagon and they were getting prepared to, for, for a takeover, more or less, um, of, the, of the member tracks and uh, the facilities that are operating under the IHRA umbrella. So that uh, that's very interesting to me that this has obviously been brewing for a little while. And um, maybe somebody saw some writing on the wall and, and was getting prepared because that sounds very fast for that to be put together from basically a few days ago to a week ago, everybody walking out. So um, well, I am not privy to what goes on inside the, the walls of dietary facilities. I think it's still based out of Norwalk. I could be wrong on that. Even I'm so out of touch with that, but I'll just say from the outside that if you were employed by IHRA, 
and for the last four years didn't have some sort of exit plan in place, you're a moron. So yeah, I think <laughs> yeah. the handwriting was on the wall. On the wall, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I could see that uh, in certain places, but you're you're basically talking about the people that were running this. So True. they've had a they've had a view that they didn't like for quite some time to have this prepared. Um, so obviously, we've all seen the demise of what the IHRA was at its peak versus what it is today. It was it was quickly. Oh, Luke, I'm going to say it was 20 years ago when it was quickly taking over the NHRA and becoming the racers organization, the, at least the sportsman racers organization where, you know, you were treated fairly, uh, you know, they didn't, they didn't try to make you feel like it was a privilege for you to get to attend their events like another organization is uh, perceived to be. So uh, in 20 years, they pro the last 20 years, they probably had seven or eight, maybe 10 good years. And then this last 10 has just been worse and worse and worse year by year to what the IHRA is today. And, you know, quite frankly, it needs a complete makeover. It needs, a, it needs new leadership and not necessarily at scooters level, but ownership leadership and a new vision because corporate America has destroyed a once super proud and super strong organization. It is, it's a bit ironic or I don't even know if ironic is the word, it's sad, uh, to, especially to those of you that, those of us that knew it in its strength. Um, but it is ironic or sad or, or both that you know, this news breaks on the heels of the passing of Bill Bader Sr. Like, obviously, he was at the helm when this thing was rolling, you know, and, and to see it um, deteriorate in the way that it has. Now, I don't want to, I don't want to overblow this. Like, for those of you that are listening that are involved in the, the IHRA Summit Super Series at, at your home track, I don't, I, I think how, I don't know how this gets resolved. But I see a lot of paths in which it gets resolved in a way that doesn't really impact us, like the end user as a racer. Like I could see this, whether it is a letter name in the sanctioning body moving forward or not, like I could see the ripple effects of this not really impacting sportsman racing at the local level at all. And, and ultimately that's all that IHRA is anymore to us is sportsman racing at the local level. Um, the, the couple of strategies or exit plans that I've, I've kind of heard behind the scenes. Um, like I th I'm fairly confident in saying that one way or another, you're still going to have your ET finals this season. You're still going to have your championship runoff. Everything as, as we are accustomed to as racers, I think <laughs> at this point in time, we'll go largely unchanged. So I don't think there's any huge cause for concern. I, I think this gets sorted out at a much higher level than us, but it was an interesting story that I thought should lead the show. Luke, with all due respect to, to that statement, um, you know, if, if there's going to be a, a dismantling of this sanctioning body um, towards the end of this year or just totally gone by next year or whatever, you know, there's, a, there's an impact because there's gold cards and things that people commit to to the racing schedule to earn and 
Jed, everything is, I'm a believer that everything in, in life and everything in business is ultimately relationship-based. And these five individuals, my understanding is they are not walking away from sportsman drag racing. They have severed ties with IHRA. They have the relationship with racetracks. They have the relationship with the racers. They have the relationships with the sponsors that put up this money. I, everything that I'm hearing is that those individuals are not going to let, not going to let allow promises to go unfulfilled one way or another. I, and again, I'm sure there's loopholes that I'm not thinking about, but I was presented with a handful of scenarios in which, okay, if, if X happens, we do Y, if Y happens, we do Z. Like I, I have a hard time believing that they're going to allow the ripple effects of this to come down to the racers, I guess would be the way that I'd put it. Well, that's that's great news to hear. You, you, you know, the group that you're talking about, the group in question is a, is a very credible, um, well-known group that's knowledgeable about what uh, makes a sanctioning body work for racers at, at our level. Uh, so, you know, I, I would like to think that they can change a letter or whatever they got to do to make this continue for uh, sportsman racers that that don't really care to race with the other sanctioning body that that want to be affiliated and member tracks as well. I know there's insurance breaks and things with being associated with a sanctioning body. So um, I hope they can gather it up, so to speak, and and keep from losing control of this thing and and keep the racers with an opportunity to to compete at a you know with a sanctioning body at a high level and sounds like that's the plan. And I hope that comes to fruition. As do I. So while we're on the, the bright and rosy subjects of, of racing as they, as they uh, present themselves to us, big Jen, how about, um, are, are we getting ready that we, we, I, I might have the, the best car to go bracket racing, like towards the end of 2022, perhaps the beginning of 2023, I've got a Vega Big Jed that I think will hook on a dirt road. And I might get to test that out. Are we all going no prep racing? Uh, Luke, your Vega does wheelies. I go 585 with a 130 60 foot time. And it's with the front tires tripping the beams, not the rear ones. <laughs> My Vega will I, do wheelies on Baptist Camp Road. <laughs> I've definitely got the vehicle of choice, but you're probably a very close second. Now, you know, I don't mean that braggadocious on my part, but it is what it is. But yeah, the 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 traction compound shortage is a real thing. I mean, we're we're all seeing facilities on social media uh, saying, you know, due to shortage in whatever they use, it's some, some with its BP, some it's PJ1, but basically there's a shortage in all of that due to one ingredient that you'll discuss in a little bit, but they're canceling races, Luke, over this. So they, they see the end, you know, most of these tracks, they buy this month to month. They don't, they're not like a major facility and they buy 30 drums at a time to store in their big on-property shop to have for, you know, the next whatever, three months, four months. These guys are buying it from a source and they're saying, hey, send me two drums. And, you know, when that runs out, I call and get two more and 
and everything's just fine. Well, there's not two more to get anymore. And there hasn't been for quite some time. So they've had to stretch what they've got fairly thin because they didn't have inventory. They couldn't pile up the inventory due to the, the financial strain that put on a, a local track owner. So this is a real thing and it is impacting events as we speak and it will continue to for the rest of the year. There, there are options out there, but there's clearly some leaders in the clubhouse for effectiveness on racing surfaces. And that's PJ1 probably number one and VP brand number two. Yeah, those are 100% the, the most popular, the most used traction compounds. And to your point, uh, you can't get either of them. Uh, my, my understanding of this is that there is one critical ingredient, like it is basically the glue in glue. Um, for those of you that care the ingredient, as, as I, it's been told to me, it's called lutenol. Lutenol is the, the core ingredient in both PJ, PJ1 and the, the most widely used VP traction compound. I'm sorry, I don't know the specific name, but that particular component, this lutenol. I think it's lane that, choice. Okay. Yeah, that sounds right. VP Actually, lane choice. Are you sure? I think lane choice is PJ1. Really? I could be right. I don't know. I'm not a track prep guy. Me either. All right. Well, anyway, I, I know all about lutenol. I've had some conversations about lutenol. I'm probably not even saying it right. Okay. So lutenol is the glue in glue. Pretty important, right? At least to those two specific um, um, products that are the most common. And lutenol is not available. Like I, I, I've heard maybe it's manufactured in Germany. And as part of, uh, I guess, when COVID was first became a thing, the, the plant that maybe the only plant in the world that creates this lutenol shut down and it is now reopening. So there is light at the end of the tunnel, but my understanding is like it's been shut down for what, two plus years. So you've got to, to clean the whole plant, uh, refurbish the whole plant, get employees back in there. Like it's not an overnight process. And then again, my understanding is that it's being manufactured overseas Then it has to come here. Then it has to get mixed with the other ingredients to actually make this. So long story short, uh, from everything that I'm hearing, there is no realistic hope of having these two core, um, you know, brands of traction compound before the end of 2022. And depending on who you talk to, to think that we could have these back in circulation, you know, readily available by the beginning of 2023 is even a question. Okay. So um, to your earlier point, Jed, there are options but they are limited. And at least the people I talk to don't seem too excited about any of them. Um, apparently VP has fairly recently introduced a, a, another traction compound that is not dependent upon this ingredient, but the uh, best case scenario that I've, uh, the, the most optimistic side of this that I've heard is that it's, it's finicky, it's fickle, it's, it's difficult to, to figure out exactly what it wants from a track prep standpoint. And then I've heard that like, it's just not as good, right? So depending on who you talk to, and granted it's new, so who knows if, how accurate that is. There is at least one other manufacturer that, uh, that has traction compound available that is apparently not uh, lutenol based. But again, uh, maybe this is uh, a result of, of racetracks and, and track prep, you know, track officials uh, being used to what they're used to and, and leaning on what they know. But every feedback that I've got for the two options that are somewhat readily available is that they are 
maybe not as good of option or at the very least not as widely accepted an option. Um, I have also heard that there is still one um, supplier, one retailer, if you will, that has PJ1 on hand. Uh, I, I couldn't verify this. I don't know if it's true, but I guess the going rate as of, uh, what, four months ago for a, a drum of traction compound in general, a PJ1 was like $1,200. The supposedly said retailer that has it available, it's going for, they, they realize what they have and it's going for $3,000 a barrel. Um, again, can't verify that, but that's what the unsubstantiated rumor is. I shouldn't say this on an uh, open airway like this in case somebody from Bristol hears it, but let's say Bristol was having this problem. And my understanding is they've got a, enough supply to, to take care of their events. They only race basically till the first week of October anyway, because it gets cool up there and they, they lose opportunities to have events. But uh, my understanding is they're fine. But let's say they were having an issue. And, and they could get in touch with someone that would sell them some for 3000 a drum. You know, as a promoter, you know, this is a one-time shot for us going Labor Day. So this is where I would reach out to anybody that's, that's renting the facility or whatever and say, hey, here's the issue. I can get this. We can split this 1500 a drum to make sure you're covered. And as a promoter, go in there to make sure that that your racers got what they were paying for, and especially in today's times where it's so expensive to go racing, that's an easy decision. So maybe some of these track owners that have big events coming up, if they're in conjunction with someone or what have you, maybe they get in touch with that source and secure some. Even though it's high, you've got to bite the bullet and make sure that that you have a quality event that you that you promise everybody year round until you open the gate and then deliver on it. So, um, you know, that does sound bad, 3000 a drum, but reality is it's a, it's not a $3,000 decision based on where the price was four months ago. It's an $1,800 decision, which makes it a little easier to, to absorb. So. Yeah, no. And I don't, like I say, I said before, I'm not a hundred percent sure that that information is accurate. And if it is, there's obviously not a finite number of barrels available, even at $3,000, right? Like eventually that supply will run out too. And by the time that we're talking, that may no longer be available. Um, so yeah, it's uh, particularly big Jed, like I think by and large, it would be the, the bigger facilities that have the, the resources and the foresight. Like, I think you'd have to have both to really be far enough ahead of the game to not be impacted by this at all. Um, I, I know of a handful of facilities like that, um, but to your point, the what's really going to get hit here, the shoestring operation, smaller racetracks, and, and my experience is most smaller racetracks are basically a shoestring operation that are probably buying no more than, you know, at the, at the most half a dozen barrels at a time, right? So by the time that you hear of this shortage and, and, I don't think, you know, we're probably a little bit late to the party on this. I don't think any of this has been ready, readily available for a month or more. Um, there's lots of racetracks starting to run out and you're seeing adjustments to schedules. Um, I see a, a lot of tracks that are cutting out test and tunes or backing up schedules, just trying to ration out what they have to get through the rest of the season or to make sure that they check the boxes for their big events. Like I feel like this is going to become 
a bigger story before it goes away. It definitely is, Luke. And there's there's tracks that uh, are reasonably close to me that race basically year round, um, except for uh, Christmas. And literally, the week of Christmas is about it. So it'll be interesting to see how this impacts some of these southern facilities that basically don't take any time off. They'll they quit for Christmas and they start right back with the with big events for New Year's and then continue with regular events from that point on. So I think those facilities, uh, the farther south you are, those facilities um, are probably heavily dependent on people traveling in for these bigger races that they do between December 1st and February 1st. And uh, those could be impacted greatly uh, by this shortage of, of product. So uh, it's, it's definitely going to be interesting to see it play out and, uh, and to see how people strategize around it to try to have a, you know, a, a, an operating facility to, to help them continue to make their living and, and supply the racers with it, with a place to compete. So it's, uh, it's going to be, um, it's going to be something to watch for sure. Yeah, it's uh, not only stands to, I mean, I think initially we focused on the, the competitive balance uh, of a well-prepped racetrack, but it, it, there's a very fine line there, like where it, um, you don't worry about competitive balance anymore. You just worry about safety, right? If you don't have glue, like it's, it's hard to have a race. Most definitely difficult to have a race. This is where we need, uh, it's where we need Brandon with mass traction, you know, um, he he might know a concoction you know like no you use honey and then you sprinkle a little bit of baby powder in it and then you know you mix that with 14 gallons of gasoline and i don't know brandon's got an answer this is where this this is his time to shine right here when i was growing up our little sunday track uh temple academy dragway is what it was called back then it's little river raceway now perhaps well, I don't know if this holds true today, but back in the day, Temple hooked like a bear, Big Jed. Like a bear. That. Like a bear. Yes. Like, yes. <laughs> yes. Right? That a bear hooks. Had teeth. <laughs> track had teeth. Yes. So it broke a lot of rear ends. A lot of drivetrain components. Well, mm. anyway, the rumor around Temple, Temple was, and, and I believe still is, it, pretty narrow and lined by maple trees down both sides and it, it felt like you were going through a tunnel you could go 750s to the eight at temple and it felt fast because there's stuff blowing by there used to be a bridge that wasn't much taller than your race cars that you'd go under like you know before the eighth mile anyway oh my god the 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 common logic as to why temple hooked like a bear was all the syrup coming off those maple trees <laughs> you know well we need so it, i mean granted it's hard to, to, to plant a fully formed maple tree, but maybe that's the answer. You know, Luke, there may be something to that. <laughs> Syrup is very sticky. And I was just about to say prior to you saying that, based on the last time that I cleaned out around my back seat where baby girl sits when she's riding there, uh, Polynesian sauce from Chick-fil-A. Uh, maybe that could replace lutenol because there's no <laughs> way that your car could leave with that on the ground and it spin. It would have to hook. That is the stickiest, nastiest 
stuff I've ever, and I had to dig that out of my, you know, seat. It was an open container. It was a whole big deal. <laughs> Probably don't need to discuss that right here because I'm already, steam's coming out of my ears again already. But nonetheless, Chick-fil-A, this might be your opportunity to step up and start making traction compound. Just a drum of Polynesian sauce. One drum give you, Polynesian give you sauce. Two grand for it. There's no way that brings 1200 on the open market. It's worth every bit of it now, right? I'd say I'd tell them two grand. They should charge two grand. And quite frankly, Luke, they give it to you. They they give baby girl about seven or eight containers of it every time she goes there for just like a, you know, a little chicken sandwich. So I think Chick-fil-A's opportunity is about to grow immensely. The National Hot Rod Association, Big Jed, which as far as we know, is under no pressure to change a letter in its acronym. The NHRA has rolled out their initial schedule for 2023. Have you seen this? Some, some changes in the works. I have not seen it. All right. So the 2023 NHRA season will begin, Big Jed, where? Well, I would have thought Pomona. That's what we would all assume. The 2023 NHRA national event season will kick off March 9th through 12th, about a month after usual oh, yeah in gainesville florida so same time they're always in gainesville but yes. they're just using that as the as the starter now and the tour will then head west uh, i believe what would that be two weekends later uh phoenix followed immediately by pomona followed by one weekend off and then the four wide nationals in las vegas so the same first four events, and I guess from, for, especially from a, a pro standpoint, a logistical standpoint, I think it makes a lot more sense to start East, make one trip West as it was, yeah. they would do Pomona, Phoenix, cross country to Gainesville, then back to Las Vegas. I assume that that is the, the, the main um, driving force behind this change. I don't, I don't have an insight on that, but that's, you know, an obvious assumption. Um, and then I don't know. Like I keep hearing rumblings that the 2023 Arizona Nationals now suddenly may not be the last national event in Phoenix. Um, that that I guess the uh, I don't know I, I shouldn't even speculate. I, I've heard that there is potential for that to extend at least a few more years. Uh, I don't know if that played any role in this decision. It's it's different. Um, I think at least on the surface it makes sense. It probably doesn't really affect sportsman racers at all it'll affect us uh, a little bit in terms of viewing schedule it'll be odd that there's no national event in february because we're used to having a couple um but yeah season kicks off second weekend of march in gainesville before heading west very interesting and and understandable you know to to see them making these changes look because that couldn't have been easy now there are some traditionalists out there that that have started in pomona uh, outside of COVID, obviously, but have started in Pomona all of their racing life. And now Pomona won't be the first race. And that strikes people differently. But I imagine there's some people that are a little stirred up about that. But to think that the NHRA did that as a, as a way of helping the teams that support their program and trying to limit some of that financial strain of back and forth across country, which we know is difficult time-wise and money-wise. Uh, that's, uh, that's encouraging. Very, I'm proud of them for basically uprooting 
their tradition and saying, no, this is, this is what's best for the people that are supporting us and doing it that way. That's a, that's a great move on their part. And although I'm sure that's not a hundred percent agreed by everyone, I think uh, the majority will see that as a, as a great thing that NHRA is doing for the, their supporters. Well, NHRA has long been known for its proactivity and, and, and willingness to change long held beliefs. <laughs> oh, wait. Yes. Yeah. 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 No, to that that's... point, I, I think, uh, at least from the outside, yeah, some credit where credit is due, because I, I think that is a, an open minded, somewhat proactive decision that, that is not, um, it has not, at least from the outside uh, looking in, has not been typical of that organization. So, yeah, kudos to NHRA. No doubt. No doubt. Can we talk a little of the Summer Door Car Shootout? We released the flyer. Most definitely. Flyers out. All right. So, Summer Door Car Shootout, shameless plug, uh, returns to I 57 Drag Strip September 16th through the 18th. It is the 11th annual. And um, I, I, get, I, did a, I did a Facebook Live yesterday, so I gave my whole spiel, right? Um, as we've talked about here on the podcast before, it's, uh, it's a bit of a tumultuous time to try to put on a drag race. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> not, the easy, <laughs> not, not the easiest thing to go through with at this point. And, um, so all of the, the, so the thoughts of self-preservation crossed our minds are being my wife, Jessica and myself. And it was, you know, we could you know not guarantee the purse or we could cut the purse back or we could allow, allow ways to basically basically allow ways for racers to spend more money to cover our butts right and then we step back and said no 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 no. like there's got to be a better model here and what we decided to do was really focus on outside involvement right bringing in some more sponsorship dollars and i'm thankful that our group of racers has been so loyal and so supportive not only to our event but to literally every manufacturer that has supported the Jake Summer Door Car Shootout over the years. And it made this a really easy sell. So we went out and got more money and we put it into the race just to try to make it more attractive to try to, I don't know in this day and age, if it's realistic to say, make more people want to come, but I'd like to make our loyal followers want to make sure they didn't miss it. Right. And that's what we were after. So uh, we raised the purse a little bit. We didn't change anything with the purse structure, the event structure, uh, it's the same entry fee, it's the same buyback, it's the same payback. Um, since it's the 11th annual, and, and thanks to our, our class sponsors, which are Ohio Crankshaft, Rodic Cylinder Heads, and Mosier Engineering, we raised the purse up to pay $11,000 to win each day guaranteed, 100% guaranteed. So 11 grand each day, added 1,000 to the purse each day there. Uh, in addition, for the first time uh, in our 11-year history, we've always, or I say that we've always, in recent years, we've separated no-box cars and run no-box separate. And we've always had some type of bonus for the last standing no box car, but it was always some type of uh, prize, right? Well, this year, thanks to our friends at Larice Motorsports Insurance, we're paying $1,000 cash each day to the last no box car standing. And then obviously they fall into the regular race, get to compete for the other $11,000. So if a no box car wins, they actually get $12,000 to win. But that's all, I'm burying the lead, Big Jed, the big thing that we got going on. Luke Siebert, Siebert Performance, has agreed to assemble a motor. If you're familiar with Siebert Performance, if you've been listening to this show for a while, you are. Um, They are the LS experts, carbureted LS experts. And so what Luke and his staff are building for us is a Siebert Performance 404 cubic inch 
LS1 package, complete carburetor to oil pan. Obviously, we got a lot of manufacturer support. Obviously, Luke and his staff have stepped up big time. We are giving this motor away. We're having a special race within a race. We are calling it the Ultimate 57. It is open by invitation only, free of charge to racers that have either been to, at minimum, nine of the previous 10 JEG Summer Door Car Shootout events and or have graced the winner circle at the JEG's Summer Door Car Shootout. The list, as it, as it just so falls, falls to 56, Big Jed. Obviously, our race is at I-57 drag strip. <laughs> my, my hope is that either Friday or Saturday night's winner is not currently on the list, and we fall exactly at 57, because how cool would that be? But I'm stealing the ultimate 57 name regardless. Um, those 57 are invited. Uh, hopefully, most of them show up, and uh, they'll get to run off under the lights Saturday in front of the, in front of the crowd, um, which is a big part of the Jake Summer Door Car Shootout uh, as the marquee event the winner takes home that complete engine from Seabird Performance. It's going to be awesome. Luke, I, uh, I did not get a chance to catch the Facebook Live, but uh, I did get a chance to look over some of the info that you put out. And I got a chance to look over the flyer a little bit today. I was, it was just breezing over it, but the race is spectacular. It really is. Uh, the, the purse, everything, when you look at your risk versus the reward, the entry versus payout is extremely racer friendly you've got i think the number was over forty five thousand dollars in racer giveaways that that you're putting out there just for not winning the race just for being there there's going to be over forty five thousand dollars worth of stuff put into racers hands that's incredible i i work hard on our sponsorship packages for for the events that i do and and that those giveaways range between 10 and 15,000 for the races that I do. So to accumulate that through your efforts, I know is a tremendous amount of work on your part and, and great relationships that you have with great sponsors. So that's extremely racer friendly. I-57 is a wonderful facility. If you went there seven, eight years ago, and you're thinking it's that I-57. This is the new I-57. This place has got a great surface. Uh, parking's much better. The the tower. Room to stop. You know that was room, <laughs> definitely room to stop. You can it. probably get woed up. Yeah. You, if you if you run to the scoreboards now, you you can still get away with it. Back in the old day, if you went to the scoreboards, like you know they got to let out before the scoreboards, but they don't always know it. And, that. I would still recommend lifting for the scoreboards. They're, they're yeah, yeah, you, yeah, but you can get away with it. <laughs> the other way, you might not have got away with it. But nonetheless, uh, it's a it's a new and improved facility. It's it's run by racers. It's uh, you know it's a it's a facility that has great concessions and um, you know the again the tower. All those things are wonderful. So uh, people should really look at this event. And quite honestly. I'm on that list of 56. Uh, I, I snuck in there and won a day a few years winner. ago. And uh, it's hard for me to get to these events anymore, real hard. And JJ's got school and he's, he's going to be a junior this year. And that'll be three weeks after we have an event at Bristol Dragway. And I, I kind of try to wind down. But something about seeing my name on that list, bro, just like, you're invited. I mean, it's not, I'm not just ask if i'm coming i'm invited 
So where do you go to the mailbox? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> we're, gonna we're sending out personalized invitations. Oh, oh, oh don't yeah. do it to me. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, it's definitely got my wheels turning on how I can make the trip happen. And, uh, and I want to be part of that shootout with, with what you're doing with Siebert performance. And I, I see Luke's stuff on Facebook. Not only does he build a, a mean piece, it always looks good. It's something that you're like, Oh man, look how good that thing looks. I want to, I just like to put that between the frame rails. So, um, I would love to, to win, have the opportunity to win some Siebert performance power and put that in one of my hot rods. So, it's an all-around great event. It, it does have something for everyone. It's a family-friendly place. Um, you can watch the racing from along the fence all the way down both sides of the eighth mile. There's going to be spectators there watching. Who gets to race in front of freaking spectators anymore at the bracket races? So um, the, the I-57 just offers an experience. It's not like many others, and people need to really do their best to put this on their schedule. I had someone ask on the live, like, uh, how, how many, how many spectators we normally have? And I mean, the common consensus is it's gotta be 5,000 people in there. Right. Well, we seems we, that way. We race at a facility that makes a little over a thousand look like about 10,000, but it's yeah. full. Just trust me on that. It, it's, it's, yeah, it's cool. 1200 and, is full and Luke, they, they get after it. I mean, the spectators let oh, you know, I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll cheer for you and root you on. And I mean, it's a, it's a cool deal. It really is. And I'm, I'm definitely doing all I can to figure out how to be there. And it should be noted two, two barrels of, of lutenol laced traction <laughs> compound set off in the corner, just for the door car shootout. We're good. We're we good. might, we might add a little Polynesian to that too and get you <laughs> and get them wheelies happening. <laughs> we'll do what we got to do. Uh, we've, I think we've touched on all the, all the big news across the sportsman drag racing landscape. Let's get to the actual on track action jet. It's been two weeks since we got together. Uh, so we'll back it up uh, a week and a half now. NHRA double divisional out in D six up in the great Northwest Woodburn, Oregon. I wanted to know, to touch on a couple of results and their points implications Big Jed, my man, Brad Burton. He's trying to make me look smart. He's trying to make me look smart. Bad Brad. Bad Brad wins again in Stock Eliminator on the first leg of the Woodburn Double. It's oh, oh. <laughs> I called it in February. I can't back up. I said it was over. Um, Burton obviously just strengthens his, his stranglehold, if you will, on Stock Eliminator. But I'm going to back up a little bit. He's the favorite. He's obviously my pick. He's been my pick for months. Typically, if you put up over 650 points, you should win the world championship. Historically, if you crest 700, you are the world champion. No one has ever scored 700 points and not won the world championship. I think it's a given that Brad Burton exceeds 650. I think it is attainable for Brad Burton to exceed 700. And I don't think he's a shoe in to win the championship. Mm. What Jeff Lopez has done, we've talked about what Joe Santangelo is putting together. Those guys are going to tickle 650. Those guys could flirt with 700. Like it could be the year that someone puts up seven something to finish second. Um, given that and you're talking about three former world champions there. You know, given the season that's, that they've had to this point and the pedigree, 
Um, I'm not ready to call this in just yet, even though I called it in four months ago, and I will completely take credit for that if Brad Burton holds on and wins the championship. As you should. Uh, this, this is going to get really interesting. Yes, yeah, definitely going to get interesting, and it's some bad cats. So you can be assured that whomever emerges as the champion at the end of this has earned it in every shape and form of the word. Um, so that's going to be fun to watch. It just, it's the best of the best out there battling it out for this championship. And, um, you know, the pressure's got to get to somebody, Luke. Just going to be a question about who it is. Cody Lane doubled in competition eliminator at Woodburn. I believe it's the second year in a row that he won both legs of that. So pretty impressive. Double, double, the old double, double. Uh, the Coor family, all Coor family final in Superstock, I believe on day two. So that's cool. Marion Hurst, uh, super comp runner from D6, super comp runner up in race one, winner in race two. So that's notable. And how about my boy, Big Jet, Andy Morris? Andy has been, has been a little off the grid in the last couple of years. I'm here to say you, you heard it here first. <laughs> Andy's back. This is where you hear everybody's back on the podcast. We Andy's get back. to say who's back, and Andy is back. Andy's back. Andy Morris wins top dragster in the weekend closer, I believe it was, and also won the $5,000 Super Pro event a day prior. So, yeah, Andy's back. Andy's winning. Good for Andy. That's a, it's great to see. And I don't know where Andy has been, but he's definitely back. I mean, that's kicking the door down on your way back in right there. So great job, Andy. Who else is back? Who never really left Mark Yeager. Um, Yeager scores another super gas win. I believe it was at Phoenix that uh, Mark won his first national event earlier this year. Uh, he's won a national open. He's gone rounds everywhere. This win actually catapults him atop the national standings in Supergas. Similarly to the way we talked about Mike Boehner um, a month ago. And I believe you Boehner mean Steve Boner. Steve Boner, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mike still sits second. Um, eh, but similar to the way we talked about, like I don't know that either of them have what are what would traditionally be seen as national championship scores to this point like the foundation is there certainly if they got hot they're leading the world um but i think it's very notable what both of them have accomplished and i think while they might be um a long shot's not even the word like they would they don't have the odds that austin williams has to win the super gas championship it'd be shocking at this point if they fell out of the top 10 so pretty significant uh news and 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 excellent seasons from both of them also at woodburn it's hard to look at the end result of, okay, you, you take two cars to a double divisional and you stage for the semifinal round three times. It's hard to look back, look at that and say, man, I feel sorry for that guy. I kind of feel bad for Ryan McClanahan. <laughs> Ryan McClanahan staged up in three semifinals. He had a great weekend. Uh, in race one, he had both cars, stock and super stock in the semis, dropped them both. And Superstock is obviously the one that, that matters, right? I say that he's probably going to put together a, a top 10 season in, in stock. Uh, I don't think he's going to catch either any of the three that we just mentioned. But in Superstock, it's Greg Stanfield. And to be completely fair, it's Greg Stanfield and everyone else. But it's if you broke it down a little bit more than that, it's Greg Stanfield, then it's Ryan McClanahan, then it's everyone else. And with what Stanfield's doing, McClanahan's going to kind of have to continue to run the table, which is essentially what he's done to this point. The semifinal loss in Superstock stung is, is what I'm getting at. 
And then he follows that up on day number last by advancing again to the semis, actually getting through the semis to the final round of stock eliminator and falling runner up. So great weekend. Um, really rough money-wise to go that many rounds and, and not advance to multiple finals or, or win a race and, and rough points wise as well. When, especially when you're chasing down Greg Stanfield and you probably need wins plural, but at the very least one uh, to get close to sniff it. And then, then to not get the extra, whatever it was, probably 33, maybe 43, depending on how it fell uh, points between semifinal and final. That's a kick in the gut. Yeah, that has to hurt. Uh, you know, obviously that's a that's an amazing weekend for most people. But when you have championship aspirations year after year after year, and you you compete for it year after year, and sometimes win it, um, that's a that's a pretty difficult blow for for Ryan and his hopes of uh, getting a championship in either category. Obviously, stock, as you said, is going to be a much more difficult task, but super stock is uh is very difficult itself and to to come up short after getting that close yeah that that one's going to hurt a little bit um and mark yeager uh, although uh, scored the super gas win that was not the biggest news of his most recent days i think i saw on facebook where mark and his lovely bride celebrated their 29th wedding anniversary so uh, good for you, Mark. That's, I mean, 29 years. He's no spring chicken and out there winning super gas races and celebrating anniversaries. Good to be Mark Yeager right now. Mark Yeager does not look old enough to have been married for 29 years. That dude's cheating life. Yeah, I mean, that's three decades. Luke. Yeah, it's a long time. All right. Yeah. Uh, in addition to Division Six in Woodburn, we'll crisscross the country again. We're we're dating ourselves. We're going back almost two weeks. Division One made its way to Namibia the same weekend. Um, I think the most notable thing, Big Chad, there was a Division One race and Keith Myers didn't win. I'm not sure about all that. They need to check the records. Wasn't in the final. I I, oh. I need to go back and look round by round. Maybe he wasn't there. Maybe he just skipped it. <laughs> Keith yeah, Myers didn't win Super Comp. the case. Michael Hondras did win Super Comp at Namedia. And what a season that man is putting together. Um, if you remember, I believe it was Charlotte National Event. Michael won his first uh, National Event Wally in Super Comp. He's also picked up a divisional win in Super Gas. Now he adds a Super Comp win to that um, in Numedia. And for whatever reason, I'm sure there is, there is reason behind this. And maybe it was... Uh, um, just not being able to get the super comp car running at some point. He's been to a lot more races in super gas than he has in super comp. And he's having a good season in super gas. What he's putting together is a legit championship threat in super comp. So you can add him to the list of what is seemingly a dozen pretty big names competing for the super comp title. But this now is two wins in like six events. I think he sprinkled in a semi, maybe two semis in there. He's got a really nice score. Um, if you're looking across what is a, a very even playing field in Supercomp, if you're looking for uh, someone to hit your wagons to as a champ, um, Kevin McKenna and I did the, the draft a few weeks back. Michael Hondras wasn't drafted. Probably should have been. Probably should have been. Yeah, I imagine um, anybody that's putting up that kind of result is somebody you'd want to want to get tied to for, for pick-ems, but uh... – that's steel. That's super comp loop. Oh my gosh. That's a bloodbath. And that's a difficult category. And I don't know Michael's travel plans, but I would assume there would have to be a little bit of extended travel 
in there to to get this done. I'm not sure if that's something he's going to be willing and able to do. So I uh, I still would uh, would look to the the people in uh, in good position right now in Supercomp to to get it done. But he's definitely a strong dark horse pick. Producer Mark just chimed in. Keith Myers was in attendance. Turned it red in round three. I'm going to, I'm, what do you, timing system or delay box? Like Keith didn't screw up. Nah, it's not wrong with a tree. No yeah. doubt. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, we'll move ahead to, uh, to this past weekend and, uh, the mile high nationals at, uh, Benimer Speedway in Denver. I actually, big Jed, I spent the better part of my Saturday in Denver, but it just wasn't at the mile high what? nationals. It was, it was trapped in the airport waiting for a connecting flight that was delayed four hours. So I was in Denver, uh, but it wasn't near as fun as it would sound. No, no, that's not near as fun. You were, you were trying to go fast on the runway, but it had nothing <laughs> was, to do with the drag strip. I was. I was trying to outrun Antron. <laughs> they weren't cooperating with me at all. All right, so uh, I feel like we're dealing a little bit in, in un unsubstantiated rumors this podcast, so we'll continue. The rumor among the locals in Denver is that this will be the last mile high nationals at bandamir now how true that is i don't know i've also heard a conflicting rumor that the bandamirs have signed a a multi-year extension to have the event with nhra so i don't know where the truth the truth lies but uh in that area it seems to be pretty prevalent um thought that bandamir will be sold it sounds like there are bids on the facility and if you've ever been to bandamir you know that from a location standpoint it's prime real estate and you've heard us discuss recently how uh the the situation that we're in is the the majority or at least a significant percentage of the racetracks that we frequent that we love are in this day and age probably worth more as something other than racetracks i think that definitely applies to vandermeer speedway i don't know exactly what the future brings but uh there is some rumbling that uh, that we might not have another Mile High Nationals. So if this was the last one, obviously the winds meet a little bit more. Um, I'm not forecasting that. I'm not reporting that, but it sounds like it's on the table. Yeah, I haven't heard that, Luke, but if that is the case, uh, I'll get to the bottom of this. I'll text Peeps and see what the heck's going on out there at, at Bandamir. There you go. He'll have the inside scoop on this. So I'll, I'll try to report on that on, in a later show, but... We'll get to the bottom of it, but there were uh, some of our buddies got some wins out there, Luke. It was good stuff. Shocker. There was a big race at Denver. Chris Whitfield won. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. One in the Roadster. In the Roadster. Yeah. So Whitfield, I think like if we zoom out from it, I say that. <laughs> let, me, let me start this over. It is no surprise that Chris Whitfield turns on the final win light at any race at Bandemir Speedway, right? Been doing it for decades um i think at last count this may this may need to be updated i believe he's a 17 time track champion uh has won that national event uh i believe twice in the past both in super comp back-to-back -back seasons comes back gets what i believe is his first national event wally in super gas and i think jed it's fair to, to have this discussion like i'm big on i think it's it's obvious at this point that Chris has elevated himself as to one of the premier sportsman drag racers in the country. Um, and you know, from our discussions in the past, that the biggest caveat to me for, for including anyone in that conversation is versatility. Well, 
Chris Whitfield has won national events in Super Comp. He's won national events in Super Gas. He's won division titles. He's won multiple track championships. He's won big dollar bracket races um, in a roadster. He's won big dollar bracket races in a dragster. And there is this stigma among all... Uh, among the the right side of the country the east side of the country that anyone that does it out west like come do it out here he's done it out here right he, he came to bristol last year was in back-to-back finals at the fling like oh, yeah. what more do you want I, chris whitfield if he's not mentioned in the same breath with the upper echelon of racer of sportsman racers today i think that needs to be rethought i couldn't agree more he's a he's an elite talent um, this is a this is a young man that that thinks on a very high level. He strategizes on a high level, and he puts a lot into his racing program. This is not just some guy that that's got a race car and, and takes it to the track. He Chris works hard on being uh, an an effective drag racer, and his results show that. It doesn't matter what coast he's on. This guy's elite talent and can hang with anybody, anywhere, anytime. And, you know, you don't win at the clip he wins at and not be elite. He don't luck his way into this. This is a very talented, calm and cool racer that gets it done. And this is just another example of that. So good for Chris. Really, really proud to see him continue to, to clip off the wind lights, especially on a big stage like that. Absolutely. Other winners from Denver included Tyler Wadarzik, Super Stock. How about John Brimer getting the win in Stock Eliminator? I believe what I read was this was John's fifth NHRA national event win, but it's been a few years. Good to see John Brimer back in the winner's circle. And I believe, I believe I could be wrong. He's been running stock for a while. I believe this is his first national event win in Stock Eliminator. Okay. Very cool. Well, that's uh, that's excellent results there from john brimer really happy for him especially if it's been a few years so welcome back to the winter circle giant and how about uh tyler wadarzachik i mean this guy is he's great bracket racer he's great sportsman racer and uh you know he 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 doesn't do a whole lot of traveling uh, outside of his general area but uh, that's a pretty decent little trip out there to the mile highs and getting it done in super stock is really cool so good for tyler wadarzik that's a that's a great win for him happy to see that for you t-dub yeah i didn't add it to the show notes i'm going to try to pull it up right now because i believe tyler's box score was pretty nasty and i want to brag on him a little bit so let's go super stock final super stock that's round four super stock final in the final tyler is eight and under against a red light. Prior to that, he was 10. He was 33 in round three. He was three in round two, 32 in round one. So yeah, they had a couple of 30s sprinkled in there. Other than that, no worse than 10. And if you know Tyler, you know that um, he drives the other end pretty good too. Yeah, wait, well done there, Tyler. Nice work. All right, NHRA also made its way to Columbus. It was Jig's Speed Week over in Division Three. Um, sounds like weather got the better end of this. Um, what was originally scheduled was the JEG Sports Nationals, I uh, believe to be contested Thursday and Friday, followed immediately by a uh, Division Three event uh, at the same facility. They got the Sports Nationals in. The Division Three event uh, looked like rain, some other issues came up. Um, it got not postponed, it got canceled, Big Jed canceled completely, which is 
rare to see, uh, particularly this point in the season. Uh, I guess it's early enough in the year. We're about mid-season where, where racers chasing points can, can make some adjustments to travel plans, but it's, it's rough, right. To, uh, to have a race that, especially when you're on the premises, um, to have that race, not, not pushed, not, not pushed to another facility, not pushed to another date, completely wiped off the schedule. Um, I would imagine there are some racers scrambling to think about where they are going to pick up that last divisional event at this point. Yeah, I imagine so. That's a, that's, I hate to see that. Um, it is rare to see one just out and canceled, you know, especially basically after you, you began the event. So um, not sure what led to that decision. I hate it for them, but definitely will impact uh, a lot of the racers that were, were counting on that as one of their, their points events uh, or two of their points events. So that's a, that's a tough deal for sure. Uh, before the rains came, like I say, the Jake Sports Nationals did go off. Had two notable results there. One stock eliminator, Stephen Jorney, which uh, we've talked about. It's the year of the slow stocker, right? Jorney, I oh. believe, runs J Automatic typically with that truck. He wins, and he has just been killing him this season. He was quarter finalist at the first points meet he went to at Indy. He was runner up at Norwalk, um, and now uh, a win here on the national event side of the ledger at Columbus really really impressive stuff from a car that by today's standards like much like what travis booth has done what much like what jody lang has done for years if you if you lined up 10 stock eliminator cars randomly and put steven DeJourney's truck as as one of the 10 it's not in the top half of the draft picks like in this day and age it's probably seven or lower right and he just keeps getting the job done and it's impressive stuff yeah, it is cool stuff. Uh, you know, definitely love to see the the slower cars be competitive. And then when they take it all the way and, and get a final and get a win, that's cool. And when you see somebody continuing to compete at a high level and getting great results like Steve has done in 2022, that pegs the cool meter. So good for you, Steve. like to see the, the slower cars get out there and trailer up some of those $125,000 to $150,000 stockers. The other notable result that I wanted to touch on from Columbus Big Jed was actually not a winner, but a runner-up, and that's in Supercomp with Devin Eisenhower. Devin was runner-up to Lee Ream, I believe, and I talked about Michael Hondras and how I feel like now, if I knew now what I knew now, what I knew then, might not have overlooked him as a as a draft pick. Devin's the one that I feel the worst about because D three gets a late start, right? And I remember Devin won the first points meet of the season at Indy. And I remember talking about it on this podcast, like, oh, there's a dude who had the winter to sit after, you know, coming up just a couple rounds short, made that trip to Pomona, watched the wrong wind light come on. Like that is a devastating feeling. And it has a way of what is it, you know, fire, fire, strength and steel. You sit on that for a few months and then I, he came out and won the first event. And obviously he's got a championship pedigree. He knows what it takes to do this. Like, and I said then it wouldn't surprise me if he just went out and ran the table. Well, again, not much racing has gone on in Devon's part of the country to this point in the season from an NHRA perspective. He makes his way to Columbus. He makes yet another final. He's still off the grid because he just hasn't been to many races. Devin Eisenhower is going to have a say in the Super Comp Championship. And I feel remiss for, like, I, I saw that coming and completely forgot about it. He should have been on Team Luke 
I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling good about this. If you haven't sensed it, like K-Max kind of got me over a barrel there. I wish I had Devin Eisenhower. Well, the Eisenhowers are your dudes, man. I, I know. Mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how you missed that. Oh, and I'm not man. picking at you here, but Devin's always in contention. Well, there's always oh, an Eisenhower in the middle of it. Like how many Eisenhowers even race? But the ones that race are bad news. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, Devin, obviously great results as usual. And as you said, it, it, that might have been fueled by, uh, by that earlier uh, loss that you discussed earlier. But, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me to see him continue and get super hot and be right in the middle of this thing because he is that good for sure. Relatively quiet weekend on the big dollar bracket front. There were two races I thought worth mentioning. We had 10G. Is it BG? Which was Big Jed. It might have been S10Gs at BG. It was all S10s all the time. Yeah, that's the way it looked. It looked like if you had an S10, you were uh, positioning yourself well there. As uh, Caleb Redeker got the first 10 grander on Friday, got that win over Taylor Sensony, a, a second gen. Cincinnati racer there uh, everybody knows Todd and how great he is and Taylor's his younger daughter and she's coming into her own so great to see Taylor reach big final round there on a, you know at a at a legendary event and uh Saturday uh, Jason Barnes got the win in his S10 over Cody Graham uh, Jason having a really good year and he just continues to to get it done there on a local level and don't really have to travel when you win like he does you just stay at home make your paycheck so Good for Jason and Cody Graham always making final rounds, and he does it quite often there at Bowling Green, so that was good. Caleb Redeker, the Friday winner that we just talked about, made the semis there, Luke, so it was almost an all-S10 final round, but Cody busted that up. And then um, on Sunday, to wrap it up, Wayne Franks, my old buddy Wayne, took his S10. It's cracked me many a times that I bet we will see at the Summer Door Car Shootout and got the win over Chad Axford. Uh, so Chad making a big final round there to wrap up his weekend at the 10 G's at BG and uh, Luke, it looked like they had a really good crowd there. Another great event at Bowling Green this time of year with the water park and all that's going on. That's a pretty desirable event if you're going to go racing. So um, great to see that. Great to see them have a good crowd there and, and that strong list of winners for those S10s is good to see as well. Bowling Green and that event in particular, it's one of the one of the fairly rare races at this point that just kind of promotes itself. Like it, it's been around for so long, basically on the same weekends for so long. People just mark their calendar before the schedule even comes out. Yeah. And and to our just to the to the point of our discussion, what two weeks ago, those seem to the, be the events thriving. I I heard that they had like 340 entries Saturday. That's oh, yeah. pretty wow. ridiculous in this day and age, especially given that it was heat index over 100 degrees. Now, yeah. my impression is, or my understanding is that that wore everybody out and everyone left. Like there was no one there Sunday, like less than 100 cars, I believe. Um, but they were all there for one day anyway. Um, so yeah, yeah, and Luke, I don't, I don't think it was as just uh, the weather that wore everybody out. Sunday was like a 97% chance of rain. Okay. The, yeah. the, the event was doomed based on the forecast and somehow it it didn't ruin the day and they were able to get in i think everybody saw that and of course i'm sure they were worn out as well they saw that and left and left a, a small manageable crowd to get it done on the last day so i guess that worked out as it should 
Meanwhile, Jim Harrington Memorial took place up at New Media. Um, big, big purses. Uh, two 20 granders sandwiching a $50,000 main event. We can kick off Big Jed with, with one of our own. One of our yeah. boys. Yeah, our boy Danny Northrup gets it hey, done. Danny! 20K in the Vega. Uh, I guess it went over Adam Beauchon. Um, that was a you know, that was a cool final round. Uh, I understand there was a touching tribute to, to Sean Sarah there. And uh, what, a, again, as I talked about on, uh, on the, the last show that we did together, um, just a tragic, tragic loss to, to racing and mankind altogether. But seen a lot of love out there for, for Sean and um, uh, 139P. I didn't even know that was his number, but I know now. That's, uh, I mean, that's seeing that everywhere now. So really cool to see uh, the impact that he had on people and how they're honoring him uh, after his passing. But a big win there for Danny. Uh, didn't mean to overshadow that talking about Sean, but definitely um, huge deal for Danny. A great 20K win to start the weekend. And that was just getting those guys started. The, the Jim Harrington race is, is a very popular event and people travel from all around to compete at it. They had a 64 car shootout where Grant Nichols got to win over Greg Hicks, speaking of people traveling a long way to, to race in that event. So that was cool to see. Um, Luke Sunday had a, a 20 grander that was won by Stay Schroeder, got to win over Billy Dews. Um, and um, Saturday's uh, no box winner was Kyle Core over Jim Young, my old buddy Jim, getting back out there and doing it. That was cool. But the, the main attraction to this event, Luke, was the $50,000 to win Saturday main event. Did it? Now that's a, that's a big deal. And, uh, that's, uh, my understanding is that's the largest purse that's ever been paid at new media, which is a, a wonderful facility, uh, owned by the Domino's in the Hills of Pennsylvania. And that was won by a young man that has really shown great driving ability on the NHRA side and super comp in the last 18 to 24 months and and all the way till now and now getting a big 50k win on uh, on the the bracket side really big deal for Kyle Bigley uh, got that win over Jesse Alberts which is a, an amazing talent my understanding I think what I saw on uh, dragraceresults.com as his uh, father as uh, Kyle's father Ed reported it I think he was five total to Jesse's eight total Ooh. Uh, so I think it was a three thousand three thousandths victory going Kyle's way, and um, Luke, I guess the most interesting part of that five total beats eight total every time. But when it's a no split final round, that and there's fifty k on the line, that's probably a little difficult to absorb if you're Jesse Alberts and you come up uh, with an eight pack to to get three change. I thought we started the show with some juice. That's juicy. <laughs> that is juicy. Uh, Ed has, you know, Ed's been rather controversial for years on uh, online, on message boards and uh, any kind of platform like that where he has an opportunity to speak his opinion. I love Ed. Uh, he, he disagrees with me on certain things at times, too. And, um, you know, he can, Ed can be a little abrasive. And he has said for years that 
you know, if he's, if he's in the final of a big money race, don't even ask, you know, it's a, they're racing for the, for the purse. And apparently that's exactly how this went down. And they did just that. And they come up on the right side of it. Kyle with a, with a huge performance there laying down five total to get it done. So uh, that was good to see. I, again, I love Ed and, and, and uh, I really like Kyle and great for him and Jesse Alberts and that whole family is uh, legendary in drag racing. So that was a big final round, a big deal. And, and Kyle come out on the good end of it, which is pretty cool. But Luke even said flyer. What you want to do with the money? Flyer. Pretty much what he called, called flyer. Wow. And that was a, that was a big deal. Uh, for the money aspect and that, that that championship style final round with those crazy good numbers, but I'm not sure the story of the whole thing wasn't Mike Fornwalt. Uh, on Sunday, this gentleman ran himself in the five thousand dollar to win no box final round, and with the talent up there on the bottom bulb, that is got to be a monumental task. And he, he made the, the all foreign walt final uh, there for $5,000. And, you know, that name doesn't ring a bell with me. I'm not familiar with Mike. I, I thought I knew the greatest bottom bulb racers around. It turns out, as producer Mark has done a little investigating or might have known this already, he basically races at Beaver Springs and New Media uh, almost exclusively. And this is not something uncommon for Mike Fornwalt. Apparently he knocks them dead up there in the hills of Pennsylvania. Again, where there's a ton of talent on the top and the bottom bulb. And he does these kinds of things with some regularity. So no one that knows him was surprised. So pretty cool deal. I'd like to see Mike uh, get out a little bit and stretch his legs and and uh, get himself a little more in uh, and make himself a little more of a household name because he's obviously a very talented bottom bulb racer. And that's a, that's a huge, huge win. And to run yourself in the finals, a big deal. So great job, Mike Fornwalt. And certainly don't, I'm not trying to overshadow what, overshadow what Kyle Bigley did. That is uh, that's huge and, and great for him and his family. So sound like a great event up there at new media Luke. You know what you should do, big Jed? What? You should send Mike Fornwalt and personalized invitation to the world footbreak challenge you know what that's exactly what i should do and hope that he's not a trans break guy i'm gonna start a trend (laughs) personalized invitations to our events there's something to that just seeing my name on that list like i said to your point jed i i I also i'll I'll plead ignorance i'm not i'm not familiar with the name mike formal when when we were going through results getting ready for the show I see the picture of this car. And, and again, just like you had said, knowing the depth of the field at New Media, that area, right? Knowing the big name bottom ball racers that come from that area. It's frankly rare that we see a winner that I, I, I'm not familiar with. And then there's a picture of this dude in his car and it's dialed 770 something deep on the window. Yeah. Um, it looks like... You know, it's a it's a late model Camaro. It looks like a street car. Probably not, but you know, it has that look. Like it doesn't. It's nothing special. And then to realize, like, whoa, this dude didn't just win a five grander in the media. He ran himself in the final. Yeah, I don't want to overshadow what Kyle Bigley did at all, but pretty pretty notable stuff. 
very notable. And uh, producer Mark said he's 98% positive that he foot brakes. And I didn't see deep on the car. I did see that picture. I didn't see deep on the car. So if deep's on the car, I would say it's a hundred point zero one percent that he foot brakes. I don't think he would roll it deep and trans brake it. So this is a foot breaker rolling it deep. I mean, the events that, that, that we put on at Bristol are like tailor made for you. I mean, come on, Mike Fornwall, come to Bristol, bro. You're actually, you're obviously cash heavy right now. So buy you an entry to the 250K and uh, see what you got. But again, really cool deal for him. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a heck of a feat and um, something that you, you wouldn't expect to see no matter what kind of vehicle it is. But to do that in a, an untraditional uh, car, you know, a small tire going high sevens, rolling it deep. Uh, shows this this gentleman has quite a bit of talent so really happy for mike great job bud uh, before we go we'll slide oh, like, down the east coast just a few hundred miles oh look here we go we don't talk much junior dragster on here the junior dragster the jdrl eastern conference finals made their way to bristol thought it was worth noting we had some we had some familiar names in the winner's circle gage wilson that's tim's boy he won i believe it was a 15 year old class caden pruitt that's uh, that's Kevin and Tanya's boy. He yeah. won the thirteen-year-old class, I believe. Douglas Hughes. That's Stephen and Lindsay's boy. The he shoe. Won. Yeah, that's right. Little shoe. Little shoe. Baby shoe. <laughs> Gets to win in the fourteen-year-old category. So those those are names we're familiar with. Um, and Gage Wilson, I think it's worth noting, uh, goes back to back. And I believe I read it's the first time that's ever been done, back to back Eastern Conference championships uh eastern conference finals championships so pretty impressive stuff for uh gage wilson and not only back to back but i believe that's his third overall uh nhra national victory in a junior dragster and if memory serves i think i read that there's only one other driver that's ever done that so pretty rare error for uh for gage wilson uh evan brining uh 69 year old winner gavin kramer won the 10 year old class aiden tillman teeman Wins the 11 year old class. We talked about Douglas Hughes. I misspoke on his age. Douglas is 12. Sorry. Caden Pruitt won the 13 year old class. Connor Cleary in the 14 year olds. Dylan Moore in the 16 and 17 year olds. I did think it was worth noting too, although he didn't quite pull it off. Graham Rufinock, who I don't know if, if you follow the junior scene, you, you know who Graham Rufinock is. If you listen to this podcast, you're probably going to know who he is soon enough. Um, kid's really talented, really talented, and obviously um, about to age out of juniors. My understanding was Graham went on tour for the swan song, right? The last opportunity to, to race for the junior dragster national championship or conference championship. He won Denver two weeks ago. He and his father made their way across town. We, we saw him at Indy uh, a week after Denver, made his way across the country to Bristol. Um, it was just a year ago. I, I'm slipping on the young man's name and we've raced with him, but young man won both. Uh, it was Tulsa at the time and, and Bristol Western Conference Finals and Eastern Conference Finals. And it was in the six to nine-year-old age group. I believe that's the only time that's been done in the same season. Graham came one round away and it gets better than that. He came one thousandth of a second away, Big Jed. One in Denver, advanced all the way to the final at Bristol. And I don't, I, I don't know what happened in either lane. Or I wasn't in either car, but by the numbers, looked like Graham wheeled himself through one chiclet. Tough way to go out, but really impressive run for one Graham Rufinock. 
Yeah, very impressive. Uh, great to see those uh, second gen and, and even third gen, I guess, for some of those racers uh, getting it done on the, the junior scene. Like, you know, we raced with their fathers, so it's it's really cool to see their sons getting it done. But um, all around great event by, um, you know, at, at Bristol Dragway, you know, great show by the junior racers, um, the repeat winners, the almost back-to-backs same in one year all that stuff was wonderful Luke and great to see out of those young racers but unfortunately the talk of this event was not about not all about who was winning but it was about who was being disqualified wait was there, there, there was there drama there was drama Luke uh, just oh. you know it's it's hard to talk about this and and try to remain anywhere close to neutral. So this could be somewhat of a rant, but uh, I don't, don't really want it to be that. But basically, we all understand that on this level, safety is of the utmost importance. Uh, we want to teach these kids to race safely. We want to teach them to race right. And we want to develop habits for them in terms of safety and sportsmanship that they carry throughout the rest of their racing lives. So building that foundation and being firm on it is something I am 100% on board with. I completely agree with it. Unfortunately, there became some subjectivity in some of the reported infractions and it cost some kids an opportunity to compete, Luke, and got them disqualified and sent home uh, really for no reason. Um, I really don't understand. And I know you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I imagine most of our listeners know at this point what I'm talking about. But uh, just specifically Easton Hodge, Jake Hodge's son, and we all know who Jake is. And Jake and I are close. We've worked a lot of events together. We, we've spent quite a bit of time together at the races, uh, working as co-workers, and uh, Easton's a, a fine young man that's making his own name and way in racing, but Luke, first round on Friday, which is a big deal, they run the first round Friday, if you win, you get to relax, and you start racing the Eastern Conference Finals round two on Saturday morning, and tr start trying to work your way towards a, a championship at the, at the Eastern Conference Finals, which is the biggest race the junior racers can race in outside of the Western Conference for those competitors. Um, Easton's opponent went red first round. He made his run, went four under, right where they wanted him to be. Everything looked great. Jake's back at the starting line, excited. His son just won round one. Makes the long trip down to get him. And he, he I talked to Jake today, and he said, you know, when I, when I got to him, I could just tell you, it's like, dude, you just won the first round of the Eastern Commerce Finals. You're racing tomorrow, and, and you should be excited. And he, he said, I could just tell there was a little bit of a dejected look on his face. He said, as I'm approaching, the, the official is, like, waving me over. Hey, hey, uh, sir, uh, just want to let you know um, he's, uh, he's disqualified. I disqualified? What, what happened? He said, well, um, uh, you know, I, I caught him sticking his head out of the cage. Uh, down near the finish line and that's a disqualification so he's out and Jake was like 
Well, I mean, his opponent went red, so it wasn't like he was trying to roll her through. Um, so I'm not real sure. And I buckle him in. They, you know, Cowboy checks them all right there before they pull onto the track and make sure everybody's buckled in properly. And so I buckled him in. I make sure he can't do that. Actually, we've heard you guys saying it, and he knew not to do it. And, you know, Easton's adamant and telling him he didn't do it. But the man says he did do it, and he's disqualified. Well, Jake goes and rounds up the video. It's on live stream. He's got GoPro coverage of it. He, he rounds up all that video where he's got one, one device that's, that's uh, you know, showing at 500 frames a second. So it's in extremely slow motion. And nothing. You can't see. There's no head out of the cage. I've seen the video. He sent it to me. I've seen it online. I, I don't see what the officials are seeing. He, Jake said, I calmly went to Cody Savage, the division two director, explained to him what I'm being told. And is this real? Or and Cody said, yeah, you know, we stick to their decision. So he wants to go over the video with him. And I think initially Cody didn't even want to look at the video. And he said, no, you're going to look at this video. So he shows it to him and they tell him, oh, it's a bad angle or it's blurry or can't see it. Basically, Luke, no one can prove that this happened. It's just a subjective call by an official that said, you're eliminated because this is what I saw when I really didn't see it. And I can't prove that I saw it. So this is a 10-year-old kid in his first Eastern Conference Finals that's been there a week, racing his guts out, gets the, the one that's the most nerve-wracking round of all, gets it done, and is told at the end of the track, and, you know, an official don't even, the official tells him that. He doesn't even wait for his parent to get there. He tells the 10-year-old kid, you're out because you did this. And he's like, no, I didn't do that. And he said, yeah, you did. And you're out. So, Luke, I, I just, I can't believe that this day and time with all of the digital coverage that we have of racing, and you're talking about an open cockpit car where it's, it's going to be very clear if the kid's sticking his head out of the cage and no one can take any video or uh, photographic proof and show me that my kid stuck his head out of the cage is the reason he's eliminated because I want to make sure everyone understands Jake's fully on board with the rule. And he said, if my kid did it, I'd be the first one to kick his butt. So I'm all for that but it didn't happen and we were eliminated for no reason just off a subjective call and quite frankly Luke it's it's total bull crap it's unbelievable and we'll talk a little bit about what they did knowingly let go and let happen but they kicked out a 10-year-old kid in his first ever junior eastern conference final for an infraction that he didn't commit and they wouldn't just suck up, throw down their backpack full of pride and say, all right, guys, you know, I thought I saw it, but obviously I didn't. So let's, let's get this corrected. No, no one was man enough to step up and do that. And it's absolutely ridiculous how that, and it happened to others too, but I think all others, there was video proof except for Easton. And I, I just, I think again, for some reason, they were comfortable leaning on the video when they knew they were right. But when they knew they were wrong, 
the video somehow wasn't useful evidence. And it's just ridiculous. And it's sickening to think that grown men had that child's most important racing day of his life thus far in their hands and they completely fumbled it and ground it up into trash. I don't have much to add. Um, I'll, I'll say this when I, when I, when I first caught wind of this, my initial instinct was hold up. There's, there's gotta be more to the story here, right? Like they ain't nobody kicking out a 10 year old kid over one infraction that doesn't even appear to have happened. And I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. I kept waiting to hear the backstory. Best I can tell, there's no backstory. And I'm, I'm with you, Jed. Like I, I'm, I mean, I've become more and more over the years an advocate for safety as a whole. Let's put specifically in that setting. Like let's let's t- teach our kids good habits, right? As a as a junior dragster parent now myself, like 100% behind that. At the same time. If there are, there are zero parents at the Eastern Conference Finals, there are zero parents, I think, of junior dragsters across the board that are knowingly sending their children out there in harm's way, right? So we're doing everything we can to not only abide by the rules, but at times like abide by our own common sense of what's safe and what's not, right? Ain't nobody trying to go out there and get hurt. And and not to say that this isn't a problem. Like I, I've seen this, like I, I understand the crackdown on, on loose belts and, and getting out of the cage, but, and I, and maybe even on some level, like I understand, like you got to make an example of somebody, but to make an example of a 10 year old kid that wasn't doing anything wrong. Like, I mean, certainly nothing egregiously wrong. I, I just, I, on the first round of the biggest race of the season, that he and his family have invested like a week to be there. And I can't, like, I've never done it as a driver or as a parent. Um, I'm sure I will sooner than later. Like, I can't imagine the, the tension, the pressure that these kids feel at this event. And to go from the, the, the highest high of, you know, getting through that first round, as you said, the, the most difficult uh, round psychologically, emotionally, um, and then to just have it completely ripped away from you, like, that seems cruel like whoever i wherever you want to draw the line safety i don't care whoever you draw the line like someone crossed it here and i I think that's very obvious and the fact that it it doesn't there's no real ownership for it just kind of blows my mind and i'll say this just zooming out a little bit more broadly from the event i I talked to a handful of, of people that were there and they they obviously all brought this up but the vibe that I got across the board, it reminded me of the old Kenny Underwood saying, Big Jed. I don't know. <laughs> Kenny told me years ago, yeah, man, I'd, I'd, I'd go to some more of those races. But man, every time I pull in, it feels like the cops are after me. They're just always looking for something, right? And I laugh that off. And, and I'll defend NHRA um, in, in large part because I don't feel like and maybe I'm biased, like maybe I have done enough NHRA comp- competition and I've had enough success where like the, the personnel know me and I know them. Maybe I don't get the brunt of that, but I don't feel like that's the vibe today at national events, at Lucas Oil Series events. But it, it, my impression is it was very much the vibe 
at the junior dragster conference finals. And again, like I'm all for rules and enforcement and safety, but it felt like you, you were looking for a, a, a way to enforce things. It was, it, I don't want to accuse anyone of anything, but it feels like more of a power trip than a safety enforcement. Right. And, and to do that, like, I think as parents, all of our emotions run higher when our kids are involved, like, but you have to know that coming in. Right. I just, I don't know. I'm with you in, in struggling, like how to, to justify this. Yeah. Very well said, Luke. I think you summed that up well. And, you know, couple of problems I've got with it is the subjectivity, number one. Um, number two, the, the, the finality of it all, just to say, no, you did it and you're done. I don't, I don't know where you live. I don't know how far you've come to get here. I don't know how much money you've spent, but by God, you're 10 years old and I'm telling you, you're out for an infraction that you clearly did, but you know, you know, you didn't do. Um, tell the parent that. Don't, don't break that news to the kid there at the at the waiting area. That's that's ridiculous. Also, um, thirdly, I think the the system ought to have a warning. How do you not have some kind of warning right. to say, "Look, this is what I think I saw," but I just want to tell you, the parent, you know, do everything you got to do to make sure this doesn't happen again. At that point, the parent's going to have him locked in there so tight, he couldn't hardly look out. Um, you know, the parent's going to make sure that doesn't happen because the parent's getting punished here financially, severely, and then got to take a, a disappointed child home for an infraction they didn't even commit. Come on, man. Let's get a warning system in place and figure out how to make this as fair to the racers as we can possibly make it. We gave you a fair warning and you did it again and you're out and I get it. But Luke, in the rule book, now I haven't read it. This was just told to me. But in the rule book, I was told it clearly states that a racer that goes below four tenths or more below their allowed index is eliminated from the event, done, it's over. You can't come back and compete at this event. They allowed a junior dragster to go 7.30 or more than 85 miles per hour, more than four tenths or more than 85 miles per hour. A junior dragster with an electric motor, to my understanding, went 7.30 at 87 miles per hour. That, clearly written in the rule book, based on what I'm told, says you're eliminated. That racer got a quote unquote from the, from the official that reported it, a stern talking to, and was told, don't do that again. Now, we allowed a racer to go six tenths under their index and over two miles per hour, more than the, the absolute highest limit that we're going to allow. And that racer got a stern talking to. That was in print, Luke. That is a guaranteed fact, non-debatable, no subjectivity whatsoever. It happened and it's printed and you did it. And the rules say you do it, you go home. 
yet a 10 year old kid was eliminated after a round one win because of what I think I saw. How screwed up is this rule system? Come on, man. This is 2022. The NHRA is the highest level of racing that someone can compete in. And these kids have come from everywhere and dreamed of doing this. You're going to take that away with subjectivity. That's totally ridiculous. It's unacceptable. Cody Savage and the powers that be have to get this corrected and, and make sure that these kids don't fall subject to, to what someone thinks they saw ever, ever again. It has to be fixed, Luke. You can't allow that to go on. And on top of that, the icing on the cake in one of the final rounds, it was clear that a young racer had their head out of the cage in the final round and got the win. It was known by the NHRA official and looked over because it was the final. Absolutely unacceptable from an organization that should have this down pat right and have a foolproof system I mean, a fail-proof system to make sure they are giving every racer there the fairest event they possibly can. This was botched from start to finish, and it's sickening, and it's a shame that this could have possibly happened at the NHRA Junior Drag Racing League's most popular event. It's an absolute shame and sickening. Okay, I'm done. Let's lighten the mood. I got shouts. Awesome. Well, I guess that wraps us up then. Um, uh, that was uh, it's a tough transition to get happy again, but I'm happy again, Luke. Um, <laughs> I was trying to smooth it over. I, yeah, I, I think we'll <laughs> make it awesome. laugh. What a great tee up. You did great. Um, folks, surely to goodness, if you've listened this long and you heard that bull crap, you have an opinion about anything, something or everything on the show. Get with us. Talk to us right there on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. Tell us what you think about it, about the last subject or about any subject or any particular individual or anything we talked about on this show. There was a lot of material there. Pick something out. Talk to us on the, on the Facebook page or private messages and producer Mark will grab it. But I'd love to see publicly what you have to think about it. Somebody grow some manscaped kahunas and get your butt on our Facebook page and talk to me and tell me I'm right. That's what I want to hear is that I'm right. But if you think I'm wrong, I'm cool with it. Tell me that too. I just need to hear from you. Now, Luke, what a great time for shouts. Let's hear them. That, that teamed me up pretty good. Shouts to mathematics and the study of 100.01%. I would like to fullest. Shouts to Luke and all. It's... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. I was going to say it's the modern day cocaine, but it's not because I think you can get cocaine. You can't get looting off. <laughs> Shouts to the S10Gs. Shouts to the Eisenhower family. Shouts to the NHRA, the IHRA, the IDRA, the UDRA, the AHRA, the, is it the, uni what's the boat thing? That the UBR shouts to yeah, all of them. Universal Drag Boat Association or International yeah. Drag Boat Association. I don't. I know. think I hit that already. No, that's the IDBA. Yeah, all of those. 
And the JDRL. Yes. <laughs> ADRL. Is that, that's not a thing anymore. Yes. All of them. And shouts to, shouts to Juicy. What a juicy episode. We had the juicy shouts to. And good. Rather controversial. You called, <laughs> you called Papa Bigley rather controversial. <laughs> yeah, very i should have said better very <laughs> shouts to ed bigley i love you ed. it's all, all right me. awesome stuff luke thank you guys uh we also like to tweet uh we're active on the twitter if you uh if you want to get out there and tell us what you think about anything we talked about on there we want to see that as well luke is at luke bogacki b-o-g-a-c-k-i i am at jp11x it is good to be back and we'll be back talking to you real soon about more sportsman drag racing. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss or at least reference This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer, led by knowledgeable professionals. Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors, and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100 plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action. Take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th. <laughs>